but the difference between a job and a career is obviously, I think, a love and a passion for what you are doing. But it's more than that. It, to me, it's actually a responsibility. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Today, we sit down with Matt Bryan. He's one of my jiu-jitsu training partners and happens to be a Cal Fire engineer. He started his career as a volunteer. He became a seasonal firefighter, then a paid professional. He's got about 15 years in the fire service. And today I had a great conversation talking about staffing models and complacency and leadership and training. And uh, we even talked about the secret book club that they have over there. So enjoy the podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes. There's going to be a bunch of added links in there that, um, that you should find interesting. So check those out and uh, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Gray. Here, we're going to talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fire ground. The opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. So let's get started. Hey, so let's start at the beginning. Okay. Matt Bryant, Matt Bryant, tell me a little bit about uh, your background, where you're from, how you got here. All right. Um, well, let's see. So I grew up in Southern California, um, pretty much was there my whole life. Uh, initially kind of went into, so in high school, I started working at a golf course and uh, took up golf. Uh always into sports, really enjoyed sports, uh, played baseball pretty much all growing up. And then, uh, started working at the golf course, got a little peer pressure from some friends, you know, maybe I had to take up golf and kind of pursued that, um, for a while. Um, when I was doing that, uh, went through, uh, university of California Riverside, their turf grass management program, uh, kind of switched out of the instructing, working in the pro shop, cart barn type, jobs and then went into the maintenance side of of the golf course business so while i was doing that i I finished up a turf grass management program at ucr thought that was my career path that's where i was going and then one day i'm at work and the guy that sold us our fuel at the golf course um shows up and my boss was like oh yeah have you met jw and i'm like "Uh, you mean jim and I'm like, he happened to be one of my little league baseball coaches. Well, I knew back then that he was a volunteer firefighter in the city of Marina Valley where I grew up. And I said, Hey man, are you still doing that volunteer thing? You know, just kind of creating conversation. And he said, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know what? And we're actually doing a recruiting right now. You know, you got to come out. It's super fun. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, like no plans to change career paths was on this. I wanted to be a golf course superintendent. That was where I was going. So I ended up getting getting involved in that. I show up, do their interview. Um, they had like a, I don't know, it was five months maybe uh, academy <clears throat> on the weekends. So Saturdays and Sundays went to the went through their academy. They taught you the basics of like I don't know for California standards. It was like a fire control three class, a hazmat fro, uh, all your little basic classes that you needed to be able to ride on the fire engine. So at the end of five months, you graduated, you got your task book, you're a volunteer firefighter. So get involved in that. The first time the tones go off, I'm at the fire station, jump on big red. We're heading down the road, basic medical aid by any standards at this point is kind of like a, you know, just stand. I think the person had a bloody nose or something. Well, fortunately I served a a mission for church in, in uh, Ecuador and was Spanish speaking. The only person on the engine happened to be a Spanish speaking household and so I was an instant asset to the engine crew, even though nice. I wasn't even sure how to stop the bloody nose. <laughs> so it just was one of those things. I mean, going down the road, lights and sirens, totally fell in love with it and thought, I need to figure out a way to get paid to do this. This right. is pretty cool, right? And this is a bloody nose call, so nothing too exciting. Anyways, fast forward, figure out how to get a job um, in the fire service, got hired with, uh, we were CDF at the time, now, now Cal Fire, and worked in this as a seasonal firefighter. So predominantly wildland um, was where the agency had kind of transitioned at that point, And that was in 2004. So worked a couple seasons on the wildland side. Absolutely awesome. Worked with amazing guys. Um, my first captain happened to be my old next door neighbor, uh, 
shout out to Captain Hayden. Um, great guy. I'd known him since I was eight years old. So it was kind of full circle. You know, he'd come by the house every now and then if they were on a fire in the area, I got to ride on the fire truck. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but you know, just really looked up to him and then for him to get to be my captain was pretty cool. So oh, I got really a lot cool. of, that's really cool. Yeah. A lot of great experience, um, traveling up and down the state of California, going to wildland fires, worked in the city of Elsinore at the time though. So it was, it was still really good for, for me and my career. Cause we would still run the medical aids. We'd still go to the, you know, structure fires and traffic accidents and everything else. So, um, got a lot of great experience, um, doing that. And you'd usually work as a seasonal about nine months out of the year. You were laid off for three and then you'd come back the next main fire season. Now, now we're kind of running a year round fire season program, but we still have the seasonal employees. So did that for, yeah, it was about four years. And then I transitioned to, that was a firefighter one position. And then I got a firefighter two job. So started working on more of a, I guess for what you guys would call them, I don't know, municipal engine, or we call them schedule A, schedule B is kind of the way we, we divide it up in our department. So started working on a, on a schedule A uh, paramedic fire engine. Three so person so staffing. schedule B would be wildland. Okay. Yeah. Good. So schedule yeah. B our employees are considered like our wildland firefighter okay. section of our department. Obviously we're all risk. So even our type one fire engines are going to wildland fires as well. Right. Um, but I was then working from a type three engine, the way we class them, your wildland brush engine onto a type one engine. So more municipal side did that. And the way we kind of do, do our department is they have limited term positions. So you're kind of like a temporary employee. You're not considered permanent status and actually did that for, well, I was doing it for about 18 months, got married in the meantime, um, had our first daughter, bought our first home and budget cuts and things. And I got laid off. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a tough transition. Um, first child bought a house 10 days later, I don't have a job. I know I'm going to come back as a firefighter one once fire season comes around, but you know, hindsight, 2020 best four months. I got to spend four and a half months at home with my daughter. I worked side jobs and your first kid, you know, it was, it was, it was cool, but definitely some financial struggles there. Um, came back to work as a, as a firefighter one for about six weeks and then instantly transitioned back to a firefighter two worked for another couple of years and we were pretty much transitioning only into hiring paramedics. So for the most part, I mean, they were still some non-medic EMTs, you know, we're, we're getting permanent jobs, but decided to go to medic school. Um, and in the middle of that, I had like six weeks to finish in didactic for, you know, the classroom portion, they offered me a perm firefighter two job. And I'm like, well, I don't leave medic school. I, I can't leave put all that time. Yeah. In. I'm like, man, what do I do? What do I do? So, um, my wife and I prayed about it and we figured, you know, Hey, I'll just stick it out. I'll turn down the job, stay in medic school. I'll keep working as a limited term position in the meantime. And, and hopefully, uh, it'll work out. Um, it did. I finished the, the classroom portion. They offered me a job again, a couple months later, went to the Academy. So I'm nine years into this and now I finally got a permanent job with Cal fire. So, Pretty and awesome. You, well, you just said something about going to the academy. So at when you get that permanent billet, yes, then you go to the academy. Then you go through there the Cal Fire's formal academy. Oh wow! Yeah. So long time in. Um, you still get training and stuff up leading up to that. So it's not usually just the blind leading the blind. I mean, and right. During one of my off seasons, I went to a college fire academy. I took a bunch of classes, and you know, they, do you get? Do you guys have like a uh, like a state fire marshal type certification, like a fire one and two that kind of? Yeah, stuff? yeah. So it's all under California State Fire Marshal. Right. Um, so having the time on the job, once I finished a college academy, I could instantly apply for that state fire marshal cert. And right. then uh, task book pretty much to do your firefighter too. So that station level and a couple other core classes you needed to get. Um, but yeah, so I went through the permanent academy, um, got assigned to one of our busier engines in, in the county um, and great experience. Came back, finished up my clinicals and internship and transitioned um, through the testing process. Like then once I finished my paramedic and had my license, then had to test as a medic and then started working as a medic as well. Um, and then, uh, let's see about three and a half years ago. So hold on, let me, well, let yeah. me check you real quick. What you got? The, when you talk about working as a medic, are your engines like 
two BLS, two ALS on an engine? Or no, how do so you guys most of it? our engines are, are three-person staffing. Mm-hmm. Um, some cities, it's kind of because the way the, the county contracts it. So you've got some engines are captain, engineer, and firefighter. Um, usually the firefighter is the medic in most okay. of those contracts. Sometimes it'll be the, so where I currently work in a county station, um, I'm the engineer paramedic, and then we have a non-medic firefighter mm-hmm. and then a captain. Okay. Um, we do have some battalions and then like one of the stations in our battalion has four people on it because it's pretty remote and two of them have to be paramedics. Okay. And then all of our ladder truck and Quint companies have four people on them and a minimum of one paramedic. But now that we've had more paramedics promoting through the ranks, some days you may have four qualified medics on the, on an engine or on a truck or three of them. So, uh, it's just, yeah, kind of structured that way. So, um, so yeah, then I was the firefighter medic on there. We had a, uh, at that station only had like, we had an engineer some days or a captain dr- uh, driving some days. And then you'd have two firefighters on there. One of them at least is a medic. Oh, wow. So we have a bunch of different staffing models within the County. Yeah. Um, which is good, bad, right? I mean, there's positives and negatives. An engineer is operating as a company officer. So we look at engineers as company officers, even kind of if like you're working type situation, yeah, 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 kind of more as a lieutenant. And most of the time though, you would be the driver and the company officer. Wow. You wouldn't be sitting front, right. Um, unless you're, you know, different circumstances, I right. guess, you know, but if you're good. in that and you're, if you're in that type of position, you pull up on an event, you hit the air brake and now you become the company officer. Yeah. So if I was driving an engine with two firefighters on it, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the IC, the IC right. I'm going to be pumping the fire engine until the next due engine shows up. And then that engineer probably would take over your pump right. okay. if, if you needed their assistance. Right. So yeah, you're, you're, you're multitasking right yeah, out I the gate ta- for sure. I, I'm thinking of the, the term that comes to mind is task saturation. Yes. And, and then too, some days you may be the paramedic and have two EMT firefighters with you. So now you're the company officer running a, you know, TC with extrication. Right. And you kind of need to be the medic and you kind of need to be the IC and you kind of need to be the company officer. Like you kind of got a lot of things going on. Right. So you're wearing multiple hats depending on the scenario, which, you know, is obviously a little bit of an outdated model, but at the same time, the growth I think that I've seen with our department engineers promoting to captains is really only changing helmet color and changing seats because a lot of these guys have been operating in that running a station on a daily basis. So, right. uh, you know, hindsight, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there was a whole lot of forethought that it was like, Hey, we're going to make these guys great and they're going to promote no. or hey, just by default, they were really prepared for the next level. It's it. Well, there's a certain amount of cross training that takes place or that should take place in any agency in that, in that particular circumstance in your guys's model, it really forces that cross training because if you don't cross train, you're useless. Yes. Right. And you, and you run, you run into a position where you can't actually get anything done because you're not cross trained. Yeah. So, yeah. So I ended up promoting to engineer after that and then, um, got assigned out to where I currently work and been out there for three and a half years and, Loving it. Nice. So how long have you been in the fire service total? Um, so I started in May of 04. So just a little over 15 years. Right on. And it's been amazing. And how many kids now? Three. So three kids later in 15 years. We've been married. I see my wife and I will be married 11 years in September. So Nice. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, life is good. On your anniversary coming up soon, shortly. I th- well, let me make sure. Right. Yeah, nine, oh, eight. Okay, 11. Yeah, this is recorded, so I can't ma- mess that one up. <laughs> can't get it wrong. It lives in perpetuity for yeah. all time. So um, that's great, man. So so you're well on your way. I know you and I started talking. Um, so the thing I find interesting about some of the cats that li- that work in Cal Fire is that uh, so there's a handful of guys that I've met that live a long ways away from where they actually work. And, you know, here we are sitting in Arizona and you work in California. How do you make that work, man? That seems well, like a-, a lot of it is the way our schedule is lined up, right? So yeah. we do kind of a very non-traditional, um, we don't do a 4896, we do a 7296. So you work three days a week, um, which really affords people to live kind of whatever. I mean, we have guys in our department that live in Tennessee, live in Texas. There's a guy in our battalion lives in Texas. Um, 
So kind of affords you really to, to relocate and work where you, you know, live where you want, yeah. um, which was kind of, you know, my wife and I had been talking for years about maybe leaving the state. We tried Idaho, um, test with Boise fire numerous times. And for whatever reason, it wasn't meant to be, uh, we've got a bunch of family up there. Um, and so that was why we looked at that area, but plus it's beautiful and, and it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so when this promotion came up and relocated it, I was commuting two and a half hours either way, even if we would have stayed in California where we were currently at Right. and thought, you know what, like, let's go for the adventure. We know absolutely nobody in Arizona other than a couple guys from work that lived out here. And it's been the hugest blessing for our family. So, um, it works for me at this point. It's only two and a half, two and a half hours, two to two and a half hours, give or take into work. And I do that drive once a week. So. Yeah. I'm actually commuting less than people that live, you know, where I do into downtown Phoenix. You right. know? So those people are doing it every day and I don't have any traffic. I just leave early and right. get to work. Yeah. yeah. Listen to podcasts all the way yeah, there. Just and listen to podcasts, audio books. Nice. You know, I've had the pleasure of working, you know, some constant staffing in my agency where I've been at the station for several days in a row. And, uh, you know, but I'm moving from station to station, which seems to add a little bit of variety being at the same house with the same cats for 72 hours does that ever get tiresome <clears throat> it depends on your crew right i mean there's some guys where you know three <laughs> days exactly th- three, three days fly by right i mean if you um truly are working with some like-minded individuals um we occasionally have things called staffing patterns so when the state of california is on fire um where your days off are canceled and the most i think that i've even been at a station was probably i think it was like 28 days Goodness gracious. Yeah. And so that can get a little bit tedious. No doubt. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're down resources, it kind of just is what it is. Um, and you power through, um, most of our management has actually been really, you know, good. Some guys, you know, their own pride. They're like, Oh, I'm at a busy house. I don't care. I don't want to switch. But I think for the most part, our battalion chiefs at this point really are looking at that. And, you know, they're trying to reduce number of days on, um, you know, staffing shortages are kind of, throughout most organizations right now, just getting enough qualified people to work and do the job, you know, as cities grow and develop, like that's becoming more and more difficult. Um, but just limiting your amount of days on duty. Um, but you know, answering your question. Yeah, obviously. I mean, you hang out with anybody for 72 hours, if they're not your bro, like at some point you're kind of like, eh, I just need my own space right now. And for me, I'm pretty good about like, I'll go out and start, you know, I enjoy polishing the engine anyway, so I can go, especially now with podcasts and stuff, like I, I can go lose myself for hours, you know, and you just kind of separate your day out that way. Yeah. Um, you know, calls obviously help break that up or, you know, and, and our calls where I'm at kind of remote. So sometimes they take longer, just, you know, you're waiting on an airship or you're waiting on an ambulance. And so a standard medical call, you might be on that for an hour and a half because you're waiting for a resource. So, right. um, that, you know, that helps break it up. And then, uh, where I'm currently assigned, we've got, <clears throat> you know, a newer firefighter and, um, well, newer to us, I guess I should say, cause he's actually been on the job longer than me, but, uh, it's great. We, we spend a lot of time of our day training, going over stuff on the engine, talk about scenarios, you know, if hey, we run this kind of fire, this is what we're going to pull. Um, we've got a roof prop at our station. So we've done some training on that. Um, just your standard, you know, gives you, gives you some time also to reflect a little bit and, um, for me, I would say realistically, like it, it actually makes home life better as well. Cause my wife kind of gets to run her program all the time. And then I get to, you know, be at work and then I come home and intermingle into that. And it, that absence makes the heart grow mess fonder up her program. Yeah, mess up maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but still just being able to, you know, get back together and, you know, that love that you have for your family when you are together kind of makes it a little bit stronger. Yeah. What is that? Uh, the expression, uh, Distance makes the heart grow fonder. Or absence, absence makes the heart grow fonder, or distance, know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I would say, hey, I'm not, I'm not deployed. You know, yeah, it could be could worse. Be worse I'm, right? I'm coming back. Maybe I do a ten day at work. I come home, but I'm home sometimes for eleven days, or you know, six days, or whatever it is. And so, um, makes us, I think, maximize and appreciate that time time off a little bit more. Yeah, nice. The, uh, the other thing that I think is interesting about running those kind of, you know, 4896, that those multi-day schedules is the, um, the difficulty of getting organizational training done. You know, like when, when do you do it? And then one more thing to complicate that is there's a, 
and they've done some Mayday studies and, you know, sleep deprivation and, and, uh, the complexity of the job, uh, weighs on you when you have been deprived of sleep and, uh, you know, proper rejuvenation. So, you know, we have these May days that take place on the back half of, of 24s or on the back half of 48s is when they're taking place. So when you start stretching that out even further, it's really, I feel like we're just adding a tremendous amount of uh, risk when you start putting people on duty that long. Yeah. And I know our unit, our union with management has been really, you know, discussing that because obviously yeah. in some of, you know, because we are the state of California, you know, we have guys that go to work. I mean, even where I'm at sometimes where you might not turn a wheel in a couple of days, you might not have, have right. a run. Right. So right. The, the, the rest cycle there is completely different than the busy station where they're running, you know, 10 to 20 calls a day. Right. And what are, you know, even on a, on a grander scale, even because the fires are a little bit less and less, <clears throat> but is, how is that medic that's now, you know, running a full arrest or a cardiac emergency, um, any type of scenario, a pediatric drowning on, on day seven, you know, where is, where is his mental capacity at at that right. point to run that call? Right. And maybe, you know, we double up on medics on equipment. So that way at least I can kind of be there and just be the assistant some days and, you know, work in that rest cycle a little bit better. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think well, we've been and, fortunate and, to not have anything big happen like that. Um, right. But at the same time, you're kind of just playing a game against a clock and hoping that it, that it doesn't happen. Yeah, that's the big concern is that you you tap these people's capacity and you stretch them to the nth degree, and then the call of you know the career call comes in when they're at the end of their cycle and they're whooped. Um, you know, and of course you bring up a really good point, which is the you know the differential between busy stations and slower stations, and you know you have to be as an organization, right? You have to be really aware of the different types of load that people are carrying and how do you manage that? You know, we, we, we have kind of a one size fits all staffing model sure. and we plug that in and, uh, you know, people gravitate to stations where they, uh, where, you know, some stations are busier, they want to be there or they can't, they bid to those stations or they, they can, or they can't, or you know, whatever gets them there. Um, or conversely slower stations and, you know, but we have this one size fits all staffing model and, and you're setting people up for different things depending on it. And, uh, man, sleep deprivation is really, you know, from a health perspective is really turning up to be a, um, a real problem for us health wise. And so it's just one of those scenes that as organizations are trying to be mindful of their human, of their human assets, right? How do we take better care of our people? Is there a way for us to staff differently that allows us to complete our mission, but also take care of our primary asset, which is our, our, our firefighters, right? Our members, how do we take care of those guys? Well, even for your guys' staffing model, right? If you got a, a guy that's running a busy at a busy house and he's putting in, you know, 15 to 20 runs a day, he goes off duty and sleeps that first day. Maybe. More well, depending on what he's got going on at home, right? right. And so he is gonna probably come home, he's gonna be less engaged in the home situation and and or maybe rest. And because I know when I worked a much busier house. I came home and I was probably a little bit shorter with my wife. Mm -hmm. I, uh, my health was definitely not as, as good because you're trying to get a workout in your workout gets interrupted two to three times. And now you just say, forget it. And then the next thing you know, dinner's interrupted. So you're out, you know, getting a, a double Western bacon cheeseburger and fries for dinner instead of that salad that maybe that you prepared or, or had planned. So you're running that way. Um, so truthfully, I don't think they're, the one size fits all definitely doesn't work for every single station yeah. within any organization because mm -hmm. every city county has busy and slow areas. Um, but I'm sure you've worked busy houses in the past and as well. And you kind of feel like that's your badge of honor and you're, you're pumped to be there. And there's a lot of pride sometimes in those busy areas. And as a fireman, you, you, you love that, right? Like yeah. you love, the, the prestige that goes along with being at the busy firehouse and then, but it's, there's a consequence to pay no matter what. Cause then sometimes you're at that slow house and you're pretty bored. So you get complacent in your skills, you get complacent in your exercise, you get complacent in your program of what you need to be doing. So there has to be balance. And a lot of that goes back to, you know, leadership and, and who, what is the leadership at that station or in that battalion? How is that being managed? Right. 
You know, it will. And you talk about it being a badge of honor and you're absolutely right. Cause we all, uh, I say we all, but I'm generalizing of course, but most of us, you know, feel that we are really doing the job and really, you know, sinking our teeth into it when we're at a busy house and things are happening and we're running fires or running car crashes and we're taking care of sick people and ripping people from the clutches of death, et cetera. When you're doing all those things, you know, there's a lot of reward. That's the job I signed up for, right? That's exactly what I want. And heaven forbid someone come in and tell me I can't do that, right? I, I have to go work a slow station. Um, you know, there was conversation about uh, moving our agency to a 4896 and we have stations that are running 20 calls a day and you can, you're going to, you're going to have those guys do it twice. And the argument that was posted on the table is guys go, Hey guys, sign up for overtime all the time. And they do it. So here's the thing, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And I'm not, and I'm not, I do not want to diminish the love that we get from being busy and being at hardcore stations and running our running our nuts off. However, there's a certain amount of maturity that we need to bring to the table here. And we need to consider, um, the health and welfare of our people. And so that's where I go, Hey, at leadership level, is there something that we can do? And I don't have the answer. I'm not saying like, Hey, this is what we do. I'm saying, man, we have to stop and think about the longevity of our careers, the longevity of our, the health and wellness of our people and their ability to sustain the, the workload and the call volume over the course of a career. Yeah. Cause obviously, I mean, well, one, at least for our bidding process, right? If you, if you transfer to a different station, um, you have a two year commitment, um, unless some other odd circumstances, maybe you promote or whatever, then you could end up anywhere else. Right. Um, so I think part of that, I mean, I'm super glad that I've worked busy places because I think it, it, it one, it helped me develop my skills. And to me, no matter what, like you don't get those skills by working at slow stations, you can train all you want, but at the end of the day, uh, it's when the bell goes off and you have to actually get on the fire engine and Mm -hmm. you've got to respond to that emergency. And it could be as simple as running a basic medical call. Right. But just knowing like, I'm going to do this to the, in, in my patient assessment. So for me, I've taken, tried to take some responsibility for that in my career and with my overtime. I choose to try and go pick it up busier houses. I want to help my battalion first where I can. Um, but then I also try to go out and get experience and, and keep up my skills by working at the busier houses. So, you know, you would think, Hey, if you were at a busy house and you're shot out, maybe you go pick up some overtime at a slower house, still got to pay the bills or buy the boat or whatever it is that you're wanting to do with your, your overtime money. Um, but to me, it always is going to go back to there's some personal responsibility that our employees have to take for themselves. And, you know, that's where I'm at with my career, honestly, is I see the benefits to being a little bit more rested. I absolutely get bummed every time I go work at a busy station, especially with some of my old buddies. Uh, my wife knows that we're about to have a conversation about how fun my day was and <laughs> how much I enjoy running calls and how I miss that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But what uh, the conversation we even had in the kitchen today was literally how um, much more present I am at home, how much more you know present I am when I show up and can be there for my kids and I'm not short with my kids and I'm, you know, have projects and ideas and things that I want to do. So for me, it's, it's, it's recognizing the home life balance that's yeah. made that change. And as adults, we, we get to make those decisions. Somebody's got to work at the busy house for sure. Yep. But for me, until they tell me I have to go be busy nonstop, I'm going to, I'm going to keep working the busy overtime where I can get it and I'm going to enjoy what I have because that to me is, is what's changing has, has given me a different perspective yeah. on, on where I'm at. And until our staffing model or schedule model changes, there's, there's no badge of honor to me that having sleep deprivation or, you know, some kind of health risk by running all those, the, the calls nonstop to me, it just doesn't, it doesn't outweigh it. And it's kind of a bummer because I do love the job and I love running the calls, but yeah. I, in answer to your question, I kind of see, I see the benefits on the other side. It's been, been a little bit of a life changer for, for myself and my family. Yeah. It's uh it's a, it's a challenging thing because we know that the work has to be done. We know that there's a mission that needs to be accomplished and uh, you know, we need, <laughs> We need men and women on that wall, so to speak. 
and uh, we need them holding that line. And um, and it's we I think you know as a fire service have to be willing to think about ways we can minimize the impact to our people. Um, and there's lots of restorative things that we can be doing, but we have to be doing them. You know, we have to be engaged in, you know, studies about sleep deprivation, open to the, the studies and evidence and research that's being done that will help us find the little things we can do to make it healthier for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I know it's not the popular thing and it, and it, trust yeah. me, I hate that it may even come off as sounding like, I don't want to be at the busy house cause I would prefer to be at the busy house, but I've seen both sides at this point yeah. for, for myself and my family. And that's the tough part is going, Hey, I still get to be a firefighter. I still get to get on the engine and go, go to emergencies and, and train and prepare myself for, for the big calls and, and help to mentor and hopefully train the newer guys coming in and, you know, leading up and down the chain of command from, from the position I'm currently in is, is a huge responsibility to me. And, um, yeah, would I love to be at a busy house and, be closer to home. Of course I would. But at the end of the day, like I feel like I'm where I, where, where I need to be currently. And well, you know, may change. what's interesting is, you know, when you talk, you talked about what you and your crew do, um, you know, the way that you guys train, um, and you have assets and resources at your station that you train on. Um, to me, that's a, an important aspect of regard of, of, firemanship, regardless of where you're located at, whether you're at a busy house or whether you're at a slow house, um, it's recognizing that you still have a mission to accomplish and you have to be mission ready. Um, and, and there's a certain thing, there's a certain set of things that you need to be doing to be prepared for that. So, you know, you talked about having a, you know, some roof props and, you know, what are some of the things that you guys do? Like you guys mentioned, you know, you mentioned a couple of things, but what well, so we just, a perfect example. We just got a brand new engine at the station I'm assigned to, and there, um, some things on it that are a little bit different. So, you know, a portable monitor where, some of our older engines didn't have that monitor that you could take off of the, the top. So you pretty much just had your deck gun and that was what you had. So, you know, go out, go down to the cul-de-sac, start flowing some water, get, get used and, and, and oriented to that timing ourselves. How quick can we get it in service? What's the benefits to this communicating that, um, you know, throwing ladders where we can throw ladders, pulling hose, um, a lot of tabletop stuff. I mean, I'm working in the middle of the desert, the same as, as you guys are out here in the current climate. So there's more indoor stuff. Maybe we're taking the ropes inside and we're just going to tie knots in the day room. Right. Uh, or, I was going to say, you're going to get out there on the grinder and get hard. Uh, well, some days we do, right? Like, and that was one thing that I noticed when I first went out there was that just that acclimation. Which I don't really know if it's completely true. Cause I, once you put your gear on and you start sweating, I mean, can you really get acclimated? There's a physiological limit. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but at the same time we were doing, you know, some drills just in turnouts, just, Hey, we're going to go out and do a 20 minute circuit just in our turnouts. So one, we can start to recognize like, okay, like that's where my limit is. I burn through my bottle way faster when it's 115 out and, and recognizing that. So then too, if I'm not out there and I'm not training with my partners, can I recognize that in you? Oh, rain's at his limit right now. Like he's going to keep working because he thinks he's a diesel engine. He's going to keep motoring, but Hey, I need to go over and grab my buddy and tell him, Hey dude, like let's take a break. Yeah. And, and so we're, we're getting better at it. Um, we're not a hundred percent there, but at the same time, uh, I joke with the guys at work a lot and through listening to podcasts and, and reading books and things like that, I, I joke and compare ourselves to the Navy SEALs in the eighties and nineties, right? Like we need to train, like we're going to go to war. There ain't no <laughs> war going on, but at the same time, if we can have that mentality of, Hey, we want to be that engine company when we show up to that incident that they're like, Oh yeah, that, you know, engine 45 is there, you know, yeah. or engine 49 is there. And, and to be that crew, because we've trained and prepared ourselves. Like, yeah. That's where we want to be. Yeah. You definitely want to be the ones when they're looking at the resource list and they go, Oh, those guys, there's my seal team. Yeah. You know, I know they'll bring it, you know, they bring the, they bring a, they bring the physical capacity and they bring the knowledge, skills, and abilities to get the job done. And no matter what task we assign them, they're going to be money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You want those guys. So, Hey, you mentioned, uh, listening to, to, um, yeah, audio books and stuff like that. So what do you, what are you listening to? Um, well, initially when I went out to the battalion, I mean, my commute before was, was 10 minutes away. So, uh, one of the guys, if I don't mention his name, my buddy, Mark, um, turned me on to audio books when I first 
got assigned to the battalion. He's like, oh, no, you need to do this. You know, this totally makes your drive better. And nice. so I was like, Thanks, okay. Mark. Yeah, shout out to Mark. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was like, okay. So uh, he recommended a few books, um, a book on uh, Adam Brown um, and multiple other, like, Navy SEALs books in mm-hmm. general because it's kind of what I was listening to. Um, a buddy of mine that I met, he's like, hey, have you heard a podcast? And so I was listening to mostly like leadership books like that. And then Mm -hmm. he mentioned Jocko's podcast. So, um, I kind of totally had forgot about it, needed a new book. And I typed in, you know, Navy SEAL leadership or something and extreme ownership popped up. So that's a great book. Yeah. I mean, we actually just did it in a, a group at work. Uh, so we kind of have a little group right now where each month we're picking a different book. And every single day of the month, you, you need to read, you know, whatever the book is. We divide it up by the number of days. So usually about 10 pages a day nice. of reading and then a physical challenge for um, for the month and doing daily. So that way, guys, even on or off duty, we're still trying to get after it. Um, and then we have a little group message we send out and, we, and everybody highlights what page they read and what they liked in the book. So then the group's kind of creating some better conversations and extreme ownership was one we did two months ago. So, nice. um, it was, it was awesome to hear the feedback from the guys. Cause I had read it years, probably like two years ago, maybe. Well, and- I, I imagine you're hearing like you read the book and you get one, one view of it and you take away certain items, but then somebody else reads it who has a different set of experiences and different sets of perspective and, oh, yeah. and they come and go, well, I saw this. You're like, well, I totally missed that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a good thing to do, man. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's been, to me, it's been really positive and we're hoping, you know, as we work overtime, try and share it in other battalions and, and, you know, kind of just create this group, um, a mastermind, if you will, within the the organization that yeah. is, is spreading more positivity. Cause obviously with long hours worked and, and all the stressors that are going on in people's lives these days, that if they can have something that's putting their focus and attention to becoming a better individual, not just at work, but at home Hmm. and, and creating a, you know, the mental capacity. Um, so learning every day, exercising every day, and they're not killer. Like one, one month, I think we just did one mile. You could jog or walk it. It's a mile just, but doing a mile a day is better than doing nothing. And, and then if you obviously want to push yourself when you're going to do something else, get, your other programming in. Oh, so this is the physical challenges you were doing. Yeah. So like we did that this month where we signed up actually for uh, a website that I had seen on Instagram um, called 30 for the kids. It's a uh, raising, raising funds for um, kids in Africa and things. And, and there were like five different workouts you could pick from there. And so you just got to do a, one of the different workouts every nice. day. Like we did, my wife and I did a hundred burpees for time this morning. So nice. Yeah. Did she beat you? No. <laughs> we, I, we, we stayed together cause her goal was to, to get it in a, do a hundred burpees in under 10 minutes and we, we, nice. nine fifty nine we nice. came right in. So, Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been awesome, you know, it, to see the group grow together and, and kind of have that. So, you know, hopefully it'll branch out a little bit more and we'll get more and more people and battalions involved in it. Yeah. Well, if you, um, maybe, uh, you share your, uh, your, share your books and topics and, and the physical challenges on Instagram and we'll share it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, that way, every time it pops up, you guys can you know, share it with everybody. Yeah. No, and absolutely. Start sh- spreading it out. Yeah. Cause I think that's, there's so much value in having a little bit of structure and a little bit of accountability with your bros. That's to me, that's a really important aspect of personal accountability, right? You, you know, you can be accountable to yourself and you can, you know, there's, there are guys out there who can totally grind, on their own and they don't need anybody. They can go into an, into a complete solo zone and throw down no problem. But the rest of us are pretty social <laughs> and need um, a little bit of feedback, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of uh, a competition drive us along. But I, even I think, that individual would grow so much more by sharing what they're doing and bringing the rest of us up the mountain. That, right? No, I think you're absolutely Cause, right. Cause I'm, but, I'm individual in a lot of ways, but um, I'm trying to push my non-social limits by creating <laughs> groups and group text messages and things like that. Cause yeah. that's not my normal jam. Right. But at the same time, I'm seeing the value of what it, what it does for me and then what it does for others. So mm-hmm. I can go, I can go progress on my own all I want. Right. But at the end of the day, if, if I'm bringing nobody with me, what's the benefit, uh, especially in the fire service? I mean, teamwork, brotherhood, sisterhood, all of this, it, it, it has to go full circle and, one individual isn't very strong. There's a really great quote. If you want to go fast, 
go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I, I'll look up who said that quote. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, I'm super. I'm terrible at like. I, I remember all the quotes generally. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I mess them up, but then I rarely remember exactly who said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was somebody very profound. Yeah, Gandhi or somebody. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Um, but the point stands. The point remains that the um, you know there are, there is definitely strength in numbers, and there's and I so I really think that's a, a great thing to do is to. You know, if people are reading something together and sharing ideas and, and cross pollinating their thoughts with each other, you're going to, you're going to grab something that somebody else said or somebody else saw in that book or whatever, and you're going to grow from it, or you're going to take their interpretation of it and you're going to see, you're going to see it from a different perspective. And, um, what's it? The Musashi quote, you know, he says, if you know, if you know the way broadly, you'll see it in all things. Yep. So having help, having other people help expand your perspective on a given on a given reading or any topic or what have you is so important. That's part of the reason why, you know, we started the fire ground fitness podcast was to be able to have conversations about topics such as this. Really, if it's not something that you've been thinking about, think about it, right? Open it up to add it to your, add it to your palette of things that you're working on and consider these different ways of looking at the world. Well, you mentioned that before we started recording and talking about that of like, you know, somebody telling you, Hey, what your ideas are, is probably somebody else's idea. So by you sharing this podcast and sharing the information that, that I'm thinking your other guests are thinking like it, when it becomes more relatable, then it becomes more palatable, as you say, you know, right. and to me, that's the hard part is sometimes you feel like you're alone in, you know, whatever your feelings are. Maybe there was some guy that's going to listen to this podcast. That's like, man, I've been at this busy house. I love it. Um, but my home life is kind of a wreck. And the guy that rain had on his podcast said that his home life got better by going somewhere a little bit slower, hmm. still being engaged in the game. And, and maybe it, maybe it helps somebody. I, I don't know. I know yeah. for me, if I, if I refuse to share what it is that I'm learning, then I'm the only person growing from it. And, yeah. and there might be 10 people out there that don't want to hear anything I have to say. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that at right. this point in my Leg life. Two now, right now, yeah. <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> right on. So are you, um, you know, you talked about, I know you, know, you talked about listening to Jocko and, and, uh, talking about leadership. Is that, is that something that's important to you when you talk about leadership? Oh, a hundred percent. Uh, I mean, that's probably the biggest discussion that I think we have at a lot of levels within the fire service is just that leadership. But to me, it, I mean, it translates to so many more things than just at the station, you know, how are you leading your community? How are you leading your family? How are you leading your children or your friends or, um, it, it carries over into every aspect. I think, uh, Nate, that you had on the podcast a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. and, and he talked about that. How are you living your life on duty, off duty? Um, and, and to me, a lot of that kind of resonated with me when I was listening to him because, you know, everybody thinks it's cool to wear fire t-shirts or put a fire sticker on their vehicle or whatever, but then they drive like an idiot, act like an idiot. And, you know, it's a little more to that than me or a little more than that to me is that my neighbors know that I'm, I work for the fire department and I work it out of the state that I live in. Right. But they, they recognize that they know that the people at church that I associate with the same thing, like they know what I do. Um, so to me, there's a way that I'm supposed to carry myself. So leadership, um, stems so much further than just outside the firehouse. But when you work for a station or in a battalion where I currently work. I mean, we have an amazing battalion chief who um, he's very engaged in our challenge process um, and is a part of it and he's doing the workouts and he is participating and that the other guys see that, especially the firefighters. They think it's so awesome that our chief is engaged in what it is that we have going on. And, you know, it's, it's a huge example. I mean, it's, it's the example that you set. I think, uh, I don't know if, if Leif Babin was the one that said this or uh, it's where I heard it, but it's the mentality of it's not what you teach, it's what you tolerate. And as a leader, as a parent, as a father, like all of those things as a friend are, are important, right? I mean, if you're not living it and you're tolerating different behavior as a leader out of your people, then that becomes the standard that you're setting. Right. Yeah. There's a, the expression I always heard was if you condone it, you own it. 
I like that one. Right. So, <laughs> so if you allow the behavior, Who said to, it? Uh, I, I, <laughs> that's just one of the, the, the euphemisms I picked up around the fire service yeah. in my neck of the woods. The guys say that a lot over the years. And, um, so, so recognizing that the, you know, if you allow inappropriate behavior to persist, yeah, you owe the consequences are yours as well. Yeah. You know, so if something goes sideways with one of the dudes that's around you and they're doing something that's inappropriate, uh, you know, we, we all have a responsibility to hold the line, whatever that line might be. Uh, we all have a responsibility to stand fast in, in whatever it is we're doing. And so part of that, you know, on the front end is education, right? We as members in this organization, in the fire service need to be seeking knowledge, educating ourselves, educating our, our subordinates, our brothers, and, you know, and, and those who are around us and making sure that we all know what's expected of us. And once we know what's expected, uh, we hold the line and we do what's, ex- we do what's expected of us, right? We carry out the, carry out the work in a way that's, uh, done correctly. Um, and you know, when you talk about off duty, that is such a big part of, of who we are. Cause I think that, you know, some guys are like, well, you know, I come to work, it's a job, but I would submit to you that it is far more than that. You know, you look at the work that people put into getting on this job, and the investment that they put in, uh, in becoming a firefighter. And that speaks volumes for the culture and camaraderie and the brotherhood you are willing, you know, to not to put too fine a pine on it, but if you are willing to sacrifice your life on behalf of the the members of your community, on behalf, in, on behalf of your crew, that's more than a job, right? You're committed to something that's a, a higher calling, and I know it may sound a little heavy, but no, I, I completely agree. And I think it's, that's one of the things that we do lack in society today is people, people having value in the things that they are doing, uh, which obviously to me is where the fire service really resonates, you know, is it's not that you're a hero or anything like that. Cause I think that's just sort of silly. Like this is the, this is the career path we've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you don't like that, there's plenty of other jobs you can go do. And, but the difference between a job and a career is obviously, I think a love and a passion for what you are doing, but it's more than that. To me, it's actually a responsibility. So where leadership falls in line with that and that responsibility part is, is, is it, it's my responsibility. Do I want to look at your wife and tell her, Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, rain died on this incident because I failed to work out because I didn't know my job well enough. I couldn't recognize that the changing conditions and flashover happened. And I got out because I was in a better position, but I wasn't able to, to help him. Like, do, do I want to have that tough conversation with somebody's significant other with their children? Because I failed to prepare myself. And then as, in a leadership, and then I failed to prepare the people below me. And that can sound heavy, right? But, mm-hmm. but to me, that's the reality of it is going, am I showing up to work? ready to do my job? Did I decide to stay out and party? I mean, I'm, I don't drink, but did I stay out drinking too much the night before and the bells went off at zero eight hundred, and we're on a working fire and I'm hung over and dehydrated and it's 110 out? What decision did I make for my crew and my brothers the day before I came into work to prepare myself to be there for them and then the people that we serve? And yeah, it can sound heavy, but mm-hmm. to me, that's what a leader is. And that doesn't mean you're, you're wearing a, a white helmet in our department as the chief or a red helmet as the captain. Like you're wearing a helmet cause you're part of that team. So everybody needs to be a leader and take responsibility for their actions. Mm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, when I was a young Marine, I think I was 20 at the time I got given a, a tank and a crew. I was made a tank commander and I had a crew of three dudes and I was a corporal, right? So pretty young, young in my career, brand new corporal, get to sign this multi-million dollar piece of equipment and a crew of three. And my responsibility was to be a steward over those dudes and to you know train with them and to live with them and to lead them and to um, you know be their tank commander on operations. And it wasn't until years later that I reflected back and started realizing that as a leader in that capacity, 
right? It's very much like an engine company, right? Being a captain on an engine company. You have three other human beings who you're responsible for. You have a fire truck and uh, a station that you are accountable for. You have a first due area that you have a stewardship and responsibility for. And the thing that occurred to me when I finally got and arrived at that place uh, in my career as a firefighter was that the ownership that you have over those human beings is not just to that human being, but it's to their spouses, to their children, to their extended family, to your fire family, to the mayor and city council and to the community who all take great, uh, honor in their fire department. And if you lose a member of their, if you lose a member of their fire family, um, you're responsible for that. And so to me, you know, while that sounds kind of, I don't know, cliche a little bit. Yeah. A little cliche, I suppose. But at the same time, um, they are looking to you for, to see who is responsible for those people. So now not only are you responsible for their welfare, but how do you prepare? How do you take care of them? It's not just showing up and, and making sure that they're happy. That's part of it. That's a small part of it, right? Hey, what are we doing for chow today, boys? What are we doing for uh, PT today? Let's make it fun. Let's make it enjoyable. We're going to have a good time today. But also, how am I going to keep you out of trouble? Training, right? We're going to train and we're going to understand the SOPs and we're going to understand how fire works and how fire dynamics work. And we're going to understand what the, the hazards are on the fire ground. Those are all critical. And so as a, as a, leader in the organization. I don't care what level of leader you are. Your responsibility is to take care of those people who you are assigned, whose, whose stewardship you have responsibility for. And that means that you have to own the difficult things. You have to know when to draw the line and say, this is, we will not go any further than this. This is what's acceptable. And that might be something that you might be the killjoy who has to shut down <laughs> something fun in the firehouse because this is a risk to you and the organization, and you're just not quite picking it up. Well, and I think that's one of the things where I think a lot of people mistake that idea that when we talk about more serious topics, that they think that that can't be fun. And I'm here to tell you, I think 100%, like, you can toe the line and have a blast. And if, if you can't, like, then you're doing it wrong. And then to me, at the end of the day, if, if I'm working for somebody that I know cares about me and my family, me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but I'm not going to put that person in a compromising position where he has to discipline me. I, it doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, right? Because that's a whole nother religious topic, right? About my imperfections. <laughs> None of us. But, okay, but at the are. end of the day, like I had a supervisor early on that said, don't make me be a supervisor. Hmm. And coming from a supervisory position in the golf industry prior to coming over to the fire service, I was kind of like really confused. Like, well, you're the boss, aren't you, dude? Like, I know I'm new here, but like, what is this guy talking about? But that was his mentality was just, you know, let's come to work and have a, have a good time. These are the rules with which we can operate and have a good time. Don't make me have to be the bad guy right. was ultimately what he was saying. And, and we had some of the best crews ever during that time period. You know, you said something though, just, um, you said something a second ago about, um, don't make me be a boss, right? That expression. And I think that some people wield that the right way and they, they have already ex- expressed what their, their, their intent is, what their, what their vision is, and that you understand what is expected of you. They've given their leaders intent and you are able to toe the line. You know what's expected of you. And then they're, all they need to say is, Hey, don't make me have to remind you what your expectations are versus some people come in and go, Hey man, I want to be your bro today. Don't make me be a boss, but they never actually express. We assume that, or they assume that, you know, what's expected of you. And by and large, I think, um, once you've been on the job for a period of time, you know what the expectations are, but I don't know what your expectations are, right? Like, so I might work for Joe blow captain over here Mm -hmm. and, and his expectations might be hang out in the recliner all day and do nothing. And so I'm living like a rock star over here where your expectations are, you you need to make sure your equipment's checked out. We're going to PT at nine o'clock. We're going to go to the store and get groceries for the shift or at at 1030. Like, so too many times leaders get in, in trouble Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. if I'm following where you're going with this, is that they haven't expressed what their you know idea of visions, values, and goals, and things of of what their leadership style is. Because yes. at the end of the day, we're all different humans. We're all going to operate differently, and I can't assume. I tell a new partner of mine, you know, hey man, if I talk, what seems to be talking down to you on a call on a medical emergency, and he's operating as the EMT, I said. I don't mean for it to ever come off that way, but if I don't express it in words, I can't expect that you know what I'm expecting you to do. Right. So if it comes off that way, like we're going to train and we're going to figure this out and we're going to talk about it for sure. But at the end of the day, when, you know, the crap's hitting the fan and I need something, I might just give a quick direction. Be like, Hey dude, I need you to do this right now. And, and so to me, I can't, you can't expect something that you haven't addressed no matter what it is. hundred percent. And that's kind of my point is you can, you know, guys will wield that expression. And, um, what they're really saying is please don't just, please don't do anything wrong. Just don't do anything. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they don't ever actually uh, express what their true intent is. And then when you go sideways, um, and you do something that's off, off kilter for them, they have no, no ground to stand on. Right. As a leader, if you haven't expressed what your intent is, you can't, it's very difficult to double back around and try to repair that after the fact, you know, you're, you're in muddy waters at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of muddy waters, jujitsu, that's, that's really muddy. <laughs> I, am, I am so grateful for jujitsu cause that's where we met, yeah. but tell me more. Like, how did you, what, what drew you into the gym? Jocko's podcast and if you know the path, you see it in all things. And if you're not training jujitsu, are you really on the path and, um, round and round. And then, you know, that was quickly, you know, as we wrap up just where I'd, I'd seen you comment on some post of Jocko's on Twitter at some point and, um, noticed that you work for Phoenix fire. So I was like, Oh, I'm out in the area now. Let me reach out to this guy. And it, it was some jujitsu comment or something. And then you told me about, uh, Phoenix BJJ and, so I know I, I went and did a trial and I took my son and he was a little bit younger because um, this was probably over a year and a half ago, maybe somewhere in there. And um, he didn't like people pounding on him. Um, wasn't really his jam at that point. Like, uh, so uh, that was my big seller from, for my wife was, Hey, if you know, I could take Austin and train jujitsu, like this is father son bonding time, right? Like right. I'm going to get to have my cake and eat it too. Right. right. It was, no um, but at the same time, like I saw the value for him, you know, I think that was, you know, the way of the warrior kid books that Jocko had written had come, uh, the first one had come out and, you know, Mark trained in jujitsu and, um, the, the values that come from it, from the kid aspect, uh, I think are huge. Um, for me, it's just a humbling aspect every single time I can make it to a class because I'm constantly pummeled, yeah. I'm constantly in a situation where um, I don't know how to get out of, or I find myself in a position where I think, oh, I've got the upper hand, but wait a minute, I don't know how to finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so just that journey, I, I wish I had more days off to where I could, I could go more because for me personally, the growth has been huge, um, uh, mostly on the humbling aspect. And, and it allows me to size people up a lot different than I think I would have thought. Cause there's guys obviously that we train with. If I saw him on the street, I'd think I could just pummel this guy. Right. And straight that up, guy's got me twisted up, up like a pretzel yeah, in straight five up seconds. Killers. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's been very, very humbling, very humbling, yeah. but, but I love it. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It's such a, I get so much out of it. It's so fun. And so physical and, you know, it's, it's a great hobby where you get, you get immediate feedback on, you know, when you're, you, you, you learn, you learn a skill set, you practice a skill set, and then you get immediate feedback on whether or not you're executing it appropriately or not. And, um, it's, it's very fire service related in my opinion, because mm-hmm. did you know how to throw a ladder or bang a ladder or whatever terminology, you know, you guys use, but raise a ladder. Did you know how to do that the first time you did it? No. But you do it so many times, so many times, so many times, you can, you can do it in your sleep, which is mm-hmm. when I roll with guys like yourself and, and some of the other level belts in, in class, um, it's just second nature for them, the way they're going to turn their hips and do this and twist that because they have done it over and over and over again. So to me, I find all the parallels in jujitsu that go along with training in the fire service. You, you go to a, a ringing alarm, you know, a residential call or a commercial building and you get off the engine, you grab the can, you grab the tick, you, you, you just, 
it's second nature, right? For me now as an engineer, as soon as we roll up neutral air brake pump, go out, engage the pump. What lines the guy pulling? Boom. Like it's just second nature at this point because I do my checkout every week, the exact same way. Right. So I know that will come with jujitsu. I just have to be patient and I need a couple of those dummies and I need to get <laughs> a couple guys in our battalion like to roll. Um, oh, nice. so, um, maybe off the air, we talk about mats and getting, <laughs> getting things set up at the station or, you know, but just even just drilling just those moves and, and practicing. Yeah. And I, and I need to be a little more disciplined in, in some of the things I can do workout wise, even when I can't make it to class. So, but yeah, it's humbling and amazing and I don't know, get some of your aggression out. Yeah, exactly. Um, which helps. And I know a lot of people take out their aggression cause I feel it all over. I think I've got like a rug burn on the side of my head, right? Or a mat burn or you feel someone's gi, or I've got bruises in places that I didn't even know I could have bruises. So, <laughs> and, and you have choked me out numerous times. So yeah, I'll edit that part out. Hey, Matt, it was such a pleasure, man. And uh, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Anytime. Let me know. Right on brother. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the conversation that Matt and I had. There's so much that we can take away from these conversations, so much that I learn and um, that you can learn. And, you know, please feel free to, to check out the show notes. Look at the, the links that we have in there. There's some added information. And wherever you get your podcasts, go subscribe. Uh, this thing will drop in the middle of the night when you're asleep. And uh, when you wake up, it'll be there for your commute in the morning. Uh, whether yours is long as Matt's or, or shorter, it'll be available for you to check out. Also, get on the Apple Podcast, leave a review, rate the podcast. Uh, if, you, if you like it, leave a comment. If you don't like it, leave a comment. I'll take your feedback. We'll make it better. Anyway, whatever you're doing, keep getting into it. Keep driving on and uh, get some.